Hello, my name is Caitlin and I'm a student at St. Lawrence University. Welcome to NetConnect, a show where I interview St. Lawrence alumni and give students the opportunity to learn more about networking and hear from alumni across multiple fields while giving alumni a platform to share their stories and advice. St. Lawrence has the number four ranked alumni network in America, so join me as I tap into this amazing family. Todd Haskell graduated St. Lawrence in 1990 with a major in history and a minor in geography. He later went on to get his MBA in communications and media management at the Fordham Gabelli School of Business. He now works as the senior vice president and chief marketing officer at Hearst Magazines. Hearst Magazines is part of Hearst, one of the nation's largest diversified media information and services companies with more than 360 businesses. Hearst Magazines has a global audience of 200 million print readers and 400 million unique digital visitors with 21 brands in the U.S. Some names that any students listening might know include Cosmopolitan, Elle, Esquire, Harper's Bazaar, Oprah Magazine, which recently became Oprah Daily, Food Network Magazine, 17, and more. How's That's that? That's me. <laughs> well said. Awesome. So, Thanks for having me, Caitlin. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, so my first question is, what do you work on and what are your responsibilities as chief marketing officer at Hearst Magazine? And like, I'm sure every day is different, but I'm interested in marketing and PR, so I'd love to learn more about what you do. Sure. So the role, I mean, every company defines the role of the, of the CMO or the chief marketing officer a little differently. Um, at Hearst, the, my responsibilities are really sort of threefold. So number one is I oversee the corporate marketing team that works on all of the creative ideas and um, supports all of our sales activity to the advertising community. So I have a whole group of creative marketers that come up with really great ways that uh, an advertising brand can um, tap into our audience to help them sort of drive business results. Um, then I also work across all of our 20 some odd um, different brands to make sure that we're doing things um, in ways that sort of share insight, knowledge, and best practices across all of our disparate businesses. So that we've got marketing teams at every one of our 20 some odd brands. One of my jobs is to make sure that they work together really well so that we're learning the lessons from one brand at another brand um, and we take advantage of everything that that has to offer. Um, and then the third part of what my job is, is that uh, I oversee all of our sort of um, the, the way that the, the Hearst Magazine's brand is presented in the marketplace. So it's tricky because, um, you know, the company is well known for our, the editorial brands themselves, Cosmopolitan or Esquire or Harper's Bazaar, mm -hmm. but the consumer generally doesn't know what Hearst means um, or Hearst Magazines means. Um, but in the advertising marketplace, the industry, that identity of Hearst Magazines is really important. So I have a whole group of people that work on what that identity means and how we support that identity, um, including what we do in the public relations and PR, what's called CorpCom. So our corporate communications effort. So 
in ways that were talked about in in the press um, around the country. So those are sort of the, the the main things that keep me busy all day. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you've kind of you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> it's it is the nature of you know in the media world is so rapidly changing these days. Um, yeah, you know, particularly when I think about what it was like when I came out of St. Lawrence and started my career, um, the, the pace of change is just an order of magnitude faster. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, everyone who's in the industry just has to think of ways that, um, that you not only adapt the way that the company approaches the market, but um, I think people need to just constantly adapt the way that they think about their role and how they make a contribution. It, it's one of the things that makes the job really interesting um, and dynamic and it's different every day. Yeah, definitely. That kind of leads in nicely to my next question actually, which is um, what did your career path look like after SLU and how did that lead you to your current role? Sure. Well, my career path actually started with St. Lawrence. Um, so uh, I was, um, I was Thelma president as an undergrad. Cool. Um, a thousand years ago. <laughs> and so I got my first internship um, between my junior and senior year um, with, um, with, the, with the incredible help of a trustee, a woman named uh, uh, Midge Longley, who um, uh, was a senior executive with the New York Times company and offered to help me get an internship. And she got, helped me get an internship with the gentleman who was the Thelma president 10 years before me, who she, all, who she helped get him his job. Um, so I tapped into the power of the St. Lawrence Alumni Network um, right from the beginning. So I interned with the New York Times Company as an, uh, um, between my junior and senior year, and then, uh, then joined the company when I graduated. Um, so I've worked in media and publishing my entire professional career. I've never done anything else. Um, so I started in, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of an analyst role. Um, well, actually, let me back up for one second. What I think is interesting is that, so I was hired by this gentleman named John Laughlin, who, as I mentioned, was, was Thelma president 10 years before me. And he hired me into a job that was very much in a, he was a, he was the general manager essentially of the company. So he ran all the business operations. Now, as you said earlier, I'm a history major with a geography minor. I mean, I have a sense of awareness, the geography minor joke. Um, but I had no, I never took economics. I never took business. I never took any of those types of things in St. Lawrence. And, um, so I was a little, you know, when I, when I, when John offered me that internship, I'm like, am I really prepared to do this? And what was really interesting that he said to me, and it's a, it is a, um, an attitude that I carry with me, you know, 30 years later, is he said, you know what, I can teach you what you need to learn about the business, um, about operations and finance and the and production and production cycles and everything else. He said, what I can't do is I can't teach people how to write and how to think. So he said, I'm looking for somebody who I know can take a lot of information, distill it down to something that, that can then be shared within the organization. Um, and that's where a liberal arts education like St. Lawrence is so valuable. Um, and he said, everything else we can teach you. Um, so that's how I got my start. 
Um, so I started and I was an analyst for a couple of years. And then he then a couple of years later gave me another piece of really valuable advice, which is he said, um, you know, think about your career uh, as a long-term proposition and what are the skills that you want to develop? And he said, it's a lot easier to be a sales guy when you're a young person because you're more, you know, you're, you're, you're more willing to like be out at night with clients and just go out and be visible. And it's just a lot easier. It is a, it is to a great extent. It is a young person's game, particularly in media because you're calling on, on customers who are young. So he encouraged me to, to take a shot at it. So that's what I did. And I moved into, into sales. I spent sales for, uh, for a couple of years, um, enjoyed what I learned from it, but realized I did not want to do that um, exclusively permanently. So I then went to business school at night. So I worked throughout business school. So it took me four years to go to business school. Um, and then I moved into a, what's called a general management job. So, which was great. So I was running a few businesses, but I was able to, to use the skills that I, that I built as a salesperson, but I wasn't like essentially having to cold call and do all the things about selling that I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, but I think that also speaks to how I always tell people who are early in their career to think about their career, which is developing their skills like a portfolio. So you need some sales experience. You want operations experience. You want marketing experience and look at your career that way. So anyway, so I did that. Um, I, so I spent a few years at the New York Times company. Then I went and I, went, I joined a company called Meredith which is a big publisher based um, in the Midwest, although I was always in the New York office. Um, so I spent about 10 years at Meredith. Um, uh, and then I went back to the New York Times. Um, and I uh, went, went um, worked in the advertising world, um, uh, running what's called business development at the New York Times. And from there, I got very, very deeply immersed in the internet. Um, and this was at the time when the New York Times was just, was um, the internet was coming to its, uh, its potential within the New York Times. And, uh, and they were bringing together what used to be two separate companies. So there was a, a digital company and a print company. And I was there to, um, provide a leadership role in bringing those two together within the advertising world. Um, and uh, so then, then they asked me to actually run sales for nytimes.com. Um, so again, took, you know, uh, my experience of selling for many years, um, uh, but then it also took the experiences that I developed in business school and things of that sort uh, and made me sort of capable of taking on that, that new job. So, um, so I ran uh, sales for nytimes.com for a number of years and then ran a significant chunk of the overall New York Times advertising business. Um, and I spent overall, I spent 10 years at the New York Times. And then um, uh, Hearst came and asked me to, uh, uh, to come over there. And it was a similar type of role because they were looking to really um, change how they approached the balance between the legacy print business and the fast growth and high potential digital business. And they came to the realization they needed to bring in some, some outside expertise to help do that. So, um, it, and it was exciting to me because I like to build things and leave a legacy. Yeah. Um, 
So it was, uh, so that's when I joined Hearst and I've been at Hearst now almost eight years. That's awesome. It all started with the Slew Connection. <laughs> it all, and I will say that it was, as an aside, when I, when I was at my graduation and so I had my internship the summer before and, and Midge was there and I said, Hey Midge, you know, big news. Um, the times made me an offer to, to, um, to join full time, you know, like literally like three weeks later. Um, yeah. And she said, Oh, that's great. And then she put her, her shoulder, her hand on my shoulder. And she said, Todd, remember how I called John for you to get you that internship? I'm like, yeah. She said, well, someday, sooner or later, I'm going to call you the same way. And she <laughs> said, when I do, you're going to find somebody a job. I said, yes, I will, Midge. I'm happy to say I've done it That's great. many times since. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Um, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit just then, but about like the importance of soft skills and writing that the liberal arts provides. And I know like in the communications field, it seems like those skills like writing and creativity and the soft skills are more important maybe than having specific majors or specialized skills because those are more teachable. Um, but I also know that you got your master's in um, communications and media. So I'd love to hear like what you think about how important graduate degrees are to success in the field. Sure. I mean, obviously it, it, it depends very much on the field. So, you know, I can only speak from my personal experience. Um, and I occasionally will, will, I see candidates, you know, sometimes early in their career, sometimes later in their career who have, you know, these really like esoteric, you know, majors, you know, where it's like, you know, I saw somebody who has a, a major in like media planning. I'm like, you, that's a major like <laughs> that's what you did in college for x number of years um uh, and i think there's clearly there are fields where that makes a ton of sense you know where it, particularly in like science stem you know things of that sort um but i think that for for many fields where you know there's just there's a lot more of an argument to say give oneself a really strong foundation that you can build a lot of different um, uh, skills on top of. So, you know, in whether it's in media and communications, you know, the ability to um, make a persuasive argument, to understand, you know, to take large amounts of information and be able to sort through it um, and identify patterns and trends and then communicate those to make a persuasive argument, whether it's in an internal setting or a sales setting or what have you. I just think that, that, that liberal arts um, uh, prepares people much better for that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said earlier, like if you can't write and if you can't publicly speak um, you cannot be taught that on the job. I just, I don't think it's possible. You just, yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, more technical skills you can learn, you know, later in your career. Um, and I do think, you know, a graduate degree is sort of a classic example of where, you know, you then you're going to, you will, you'll, you'll 
take classes to build very specific skills that are necessary for the career that you want to take. Um, and in my case, so I, I, I majored in communications and media management in business school. Um, Fordham was, is actually one of the only schools in the country that has that as a, as a concentration. Mm -hmm. um, and, be, and it was great because what, what it did is, is I certainly had to take like the hardcore finance classes and things like that. Um, but they also had adjunct professors who taught classes specifically in, you know, in, in topics that were very closely related to working in media. Um, and these were professors who, you know, taught one night a week, um, but then had real jobs working for big media companies. And, you know, it was kind of amazing. Um, and I loved it. Um, uh, with that said, you know, the taking like the finance classes in business school was was just terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, I hated it, and I was not particularly good at it. Um, but, but interestingly, what you would see there is you'd see in business school they have the what the uh, it's called it's like it's gearheads versus poets. So you, the gearheads are the guys who are like work on Wall Street, and they they know all the economics and finance and things like that. And then the poets are people like us. You know, yeah. it's the liberal arts people. And what would end end up happening is the gearheads were really good at like the hard core quant stuff uh, but then when they had to present in front of the group they'd be paralyzed yeah <laughs> versus the poets who were really good at that kind of stuff so you see that in business school yeah i think i'd be more of a poet probably too <laughs> I, just, I think many of us would are that way exactly <laughs> um so something i really admire about public relations is that it's all about earning media exposure and not buying it um, and I actually attended the SLU Connect communications event that you spoke at a little while ago, and you said that there will always be a need for public relations. So I would, I'd love you could elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting, even, you know, in most businesses, you know, businesses will be focused on all three, you know, it's, they're going to be focused on, on earned, owned, um, uh, you know, uh, every type, you know, bought media, what have you. Uh, but I think what's important is that, um, you know, earned media has a degree of, of credibility. It, it lends um, sort of independent authority to, uh, to the, you know, the, the entity that is being covered. And so in media for us, it's like, it's really interesting because we, we are sort of, we play both sides of that spectrum. So, you know, I have, you know, um, we have brands who are constantly um, like pushing our editors to cover their latest amazing product. So, you know, whether it's a beauty company that has a, you know, what they consider to be an earth shattering new foundation or mascara or something like that. Um, they're, they're pushing the, the editors to, to cover the launches of these new products. At the same time, we have salespeople who are calling on those same marketers to say, you need to spend money with us to get yourself visibility in front of our audiences. So, you know, what you have is, is you've got, you, 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 you want to be really good at both. So we try to be really good at understanding what is going on with a, with a marketer, like, like, what is it that makes this product so earth shattering? 
and we know our millions of readers to say what what is it that will, that they will find interesting about this what's the value proposition to the consumer um, and and what is the way that we can tell the story of this product in a way that's going to be uh, really interesting for the reader so that it's going to perform so we'll get people to read it and engage with it um, but then at the same time you know the advertising guys are trying to say okay what is a strategy by which we can distribute your message about um, this product in ways that will support everything else you're doing so i think that 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 you know what what where the where the magic happens is organizations that are really good at understanding um, the intersection of earned and owned and bought media um, because it's where they play together is where um, is where they're most effective. Um, but that's, you know, it's it's tricky. It's really hard. Um, but you know, one of the cool things that that that, that publishers do um, is that they help brands figure out how to navigate those dynamics, and that's what that's what makes it really fun. Yeah. It sounds really fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, okay, so this, this is kind of a random lead-in to my next question, but I'm a big fan of Oprah, and I actually- So am I. <laughs> yeah, um, I attended her like virtual Zoom call she did with Gail last week. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, and I know that like her famous magazine recently transitioned into a digital platform, OprahDaily.com, which is like, a members only community for exclusive digital content. Um, so do you think that exclusive digital communities like these are like the future of magazines? Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about, you know, about the Oprah platform, because I also think it's really representative of sort of what makes the media industry so exciting and also so challenging these days. So, you know, Hearst launched the uh, Oh, the Oprah magazine with Oprah um, just over 20 years ago. And it was the most successful launch in the history of magazine publishing. It was like, it was an amazing, amazing success. Now, Oprah has been on the cover of every issue now um, for 20 years. And she just, and it's a lot of work for her and she has a lot going on. Um, the, it was just this past September that she, for the first time was not on the cover of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And it was actually when she, um, on the cover instead, she put an amazing artist's illustration of Brianna Taylor on the cover, um, yeah. during the sort of the peak of, of um, the, the BLM sort of national discussion that we were having. So anyway, so it's 20 years now. And you know, what Oprah, what's so amazing about Oprah is, is that she defines what she, you know, is um, uh, what, what she wants to do and how she wants to engage with, with the consumer. So if you think about it, what is it? I think it was almost eight years ago that she stepped away from the daily TV show. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, it felt right. She had been doing it, I think at that point for 25, 30, maybe 25 years, I think. And she, it was just the right time. So, and so she decided to reinvent herself. And so she created the own network. She struck her deal with Apple. She did all of these different things. And like, that's what she's so amazing. So now what's interesting about what Oprah is doing is she is taking the Oprah platform, which is all about self-improvement and service and 
um, and really meaningful conversation about what's going on in the world. And she missed that daily interaction. So what Oprah Daily is, is it is essentially going from a monthly print product and a very large website to now it will be a daily conversation with her, with her audience. And there are different ways that the audience can participate. So there'll be the, the daily at, at, its, um, at its largest, which will be a free site available to everybody with content in all of its different forms, video and flat content and photography and all the rest every day. But then you'll be able to elect to have different levels. So some people will then elect to get to subscribe to like a newsletter product that will be delivered straight into their mailbox every day. And then there are other people who will be subscribing to something called Op the Oprah Insider, which is this very sort of super passionate Oprah like, you know, <laughs> mega fans. Yeah. Um, who will get different types of things, including, by the way, up a four time a year um, premium print product. Because so we because we still think that the print product is super important, but it's going to be around particular topics. So like we just released the first issue and the entire issue is themed around the topic of reinvention because she's just really interested in that. So long way to get to your question is I think that what will make media brands successful moving forward is by being um, uh, flexible in thinking about what does it mean to be a media brand? Like that idea is just, I think will work really well for what the Oprah brand is all about. You know, we have other brands, um, for example, um, Runner's World is a, is a brand we publish. Mm -hmm. Runner's World, very, as you can imagine, about as different from Oprah as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it has this incredible passionate community of runners. So there, you know, we have the regular, the magazine, but then we have what's really a community platform that not only um, is it us talking to the, to the reader, but it's letting the readers talk to each other in a real community setting. So that's what works for that brand. And then you look at another brand like um, Delish, which is our, our food, pure play food brand. I mean, that's a massive brand works very differently. So the point being is that I think what, you know, the media brands are going to be, are going to be constantly evolving, um, thinking about new ways that they come together with Delish. It's things like they're creating like potentially, you know, books, they're doing cookware, they're doing all kinds of different things. So I think what makes, what makes media brands really interesting, at least for, for strong media brands that are relevant with the consumer, is thinking what will it look like a year, two years, five years from now, and constantly evolving it to be successful um, with what the consumer is looking for. Yeah, that was that was a great answer. <laughs> um, it kind of relates to my next question too, which I guess I don't know. It's kind of related to what you just said, but um, you know, like social media and online space, I think has just become so saturated with entrepreneurs and businesses um, putting their, their marketing and branding strategies there. So like, how do you think brands are going to stand out? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think 
I think the consumer is really smart. Mm-hmm. And I think that that um, what the consumer will recognize are brands that are active in social that that bring something that's important to them. So it might be, you know, are they um, are they authoritative? Are they trustworthy? I mean, we all know, like you hear about these influencers and it's like they will hawk any product that pays them to like say something about it. I mean, you know, you see these influencers on YouTube or Instagram (laughs) and it's really just horrendous. Yeah. But but I I think increasingly consumers are 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 a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And they they sniff out that inauthenticity really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is I think that consumers are looking, in, and particularly younger consumers, are looking um, for brands that share their values. And so that, yes, they're, they want to make sure that the product does what it's, it claims that it does, and there's, you know, that it works and that it's, you know, those types of things. But they also really want to make sure that, that, that the brand reflects a a set of priorities that aligns with what what they do, you know. And not to use beauty again, but I but I do a lot of work with beauty. Um, you know, one of the big things with that we hear all the time from consumers in the beauty market is yes, they want to know the latest, you know, whether it's a hair care treatment or a cosmetic product that, and it's like, oh my God, it does amazing things for me to get my smoky eye look, you know, (laughs) whatever it is. Um, But they also like, they really want to, to support brands that they feel align with their values. Um, You know, in a classic example with that, like in the cosmetic space now, is that the issues around around um, gender identity and uh, an acceptance of gender identity are incredibly important, particularly for young people. And in the beauty market, particularly so, because where it used to be, it was like, well, there was fragrance for men and, you know, and that was cologne. And then there was fragrance for women and that's perfume and like, you know, near the twain shall meet. Well, that just doesn't mean anything anymore now to a modern consumer. It's just like they, they identify the way they that they just feel that they want to project their personal image to the world. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how the world thinks about them, um, and they want products that will support that that identity. And whether that's in things like beauty or fragrance or what have you, and you see that in popular culture all the time now. Um, and I think social is a place where those values come across more strongly than almost anywhere else. So I think that where where brands really need to make sure is that the way that they project their values in social um, is is done so in a way that aligns with what consumers are looking for today. Um, you know, that's something like in, in with an organization like ours, like we help brands do that. And that's where it also gets really fun, you know, where we, you know, I remember we did a big project with like Maybelline um, with the 17 brand. And it was all about, we did this whole thing for like, you know, when the 17 brand has their, their sweet spot are like from like 14 to 17 is like the age, but it was like, how to get ready for your first gay pride, you know, as whether you're an ally or part of the LGBTQ community. And it was beauty 
tutorials on how for June was when you're going to a pride parade, either to celebrate with your friends or to celebrate yourself. Um, and it was incredibly successful because it spoke to that consumer in a way that they wanted to. And it was most successful on social. Um, yeah. And that's kind of an example of how this, this stuff can be really fun to do. Yeah, that's an awesome example. I, I love that you mentioned the authenticity because I think it's so true. Like people can totally see through like when people are just being paid to say things. And I think, I think that's why like TikTok is blowing up so much right now because the whole app is based around just like real moments. Totally. And, and I think it's also one of the reasons why, you know, in, in journalistic organizations like ours, we also have to be really careful that, um, uh, you know, we respect the integrity of our editorial teams, you know. So have, having worked for the New York Times for 10 years, you know, the, the idea of separation of church and state, which is, you know, what we always talk about, you know, in that organization, it's incredibly important. In lifestyle publishing, like what we do, it's it's different. You know, there, I work with our editors every day and we, we work on really big ideas that we can take to market. But, you know, it's like, we have, we're really careful. Like we never tell the editors, you know, what they need to cover, how they should talk about brands. Like, it, because, we're convinced that if we ever do anything to undermine the credibility um, and authority of, of our editorial team, the whole rest of the business is built upon that. Um, so we're incredibly, incredibly careful about to make sure that we don't do anything to undermine that. Yeah. Um, I have a few more questions, more specifically yep. about like um, career stuff and more about St. Lawrence. Um, sure. So what advice do you have for students who are interested in pursuing a career in the communications field? Sure. Well, what I would say would be learn as much as you possibly can about, you know, what's going on in the, in the, in the media and communications marketplace. You know, it's interesting, you know, like when we're working on a program, we, we, a bunch of our brands are very active in TikTok. When mm -hmm. I'm, working on a pitch for an advertiser that involves a big TikTok element, the first thing I do is I find someone who is as close to your age as I possibly can. Because <laughs> there's so much better, like I am the wor I am the biggest, like I, I am so bad at TikTok <laughs> and Snapchat, it's not even funny. <laughs> so what I always do is I recognize where is it that um, I can tap into the expertise um, and, and the fact that it comes as in many cases, it's like, it's just so much more natural for someone um, to, to be on those platforms than I am. So the point being is that like, what you want to do is, is understand what's going on in the marketplace. So not only do you want to use TikTok, but you actually want to read up and learn about what are the trends going on on TikTok? How are brands using TikTok? Um, what's the what is the what's called the monetization strategy? So how do people make money on TikTok? Mm -hmm. um, those so then whether it's you're going into PR or advertising or marketing or media on the agency side, those types of things are incredibly important. The more you know about that, so that when you're going in and talking on an interview or what have you the better informed you are, the more value you have. And particularly um, 
in ways that that to be honest like people who are maybe more um deeply into their career are, are just never going to be able to bring that kind of skill set um to the party so i think there's real value there um so because like i said the the, the fundamentals of writing and speaking and and analyzing like you're going to get that from a from a, a a liberal arts career but i think understanding um the media marketplace is is really really important when you're trying to get that internship or that first job or what have you yeah definitely i think yeah being young definitely is an advantage but doing the research is is super crucial Yep. And I think, you know, even if it's like, and also if there's some project work that you can do, I mean, you know, it might be, for example, and I know, you know, particularly as we head into this summer internship, the internship sort of marketplace is going to be like really weird, uh, you know, yeah. maybe not as weird as last year, but it'll <laughs> still be weird. Um, so, you know, so maybe it's things like doing project work with an organization, you know, that you already do some volunteer work to maybe do a marketing project or a social media project to help um, that organization build their visibility, like those types of things to say, like, you know, I you know, I'm making this up. I work with my local boys and girls club and I did a, a project with them to build their visibility on TikTok because nobody, you know, on the professional career staff knew how to use TikTok. So I helped them build a TikTok strategy. Those types of things are what will, will differentiate because I know that many of your listeners are always thinking like, how can I diff how can I make myself more attractive as a potential candidate for an internship or a job? And, you know, sure, pre previous internships are always really important, but those aren't always necessarily available. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like creating your own um, ways to show how hard you work this, the, uh, a set of skills that you've built that are particularly valuable. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can essentially build those for yourself. Yeah. Like self-starting. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. Internships and experiences like real world experiences, examples of things you're doing are definitely really important. Um, but do you also have any tips for, resumes or cover letters or interviews, things like that? Yep. So um, the, the, the one of the most important things is follow-up, okay? So, um, uh, and you know, it's a little tricky right now because what I would, I always, you know, what you want to do is, is, you know, any hiring manager, you see a lot of different people. Um, it is. I'm. I'm. It never ceases to amaze me the 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 lack of good follow up. Mm -hmm. um, so the most, and I think right now, particularly because like nobody's in their offices, so it's kind of hard to do. Like I always recommend, like actually, like doing something a hard copy, like you know, yeah. like an actual letter to say thank you. Probably you know don't know where people are anymore, so that doesn't really work. <laughs> so yeah. what I would say is always make sure that within 24 hours, do a follow-up, include in your follow-up, maybe a couple of things that you talked about to show that you were listening and, and you learned from what you you heard. Um, I would also say that in your, in, your, um, in your outreach, be very specific about what it is that you're hoping to do. So, you know, if you just say, well, you know, I'm, 
I mean, looking for an internship and I, sure, I would take it, you know, well, where are they available? Like, that's the wrong approach. Like, you you want to say, if, if you're talking to somebody who is in PR, it's like, I want to be in PR. Or if you're talking to someone in, in advertising, I want to be in advertising and here's why. Be as specific as you can. Um, you know, even if the fact is, even if you're going to essentially say you're, that your number one thing you know, you tell six different prospective employees that each one of them are their are your number one priority. You can be a little, you know, creative in that. Um, <laughs> but you want to you want to you want to communicate your enthusiasm for that particular um, field. Um, that's what we, because ultimately, what a lot of employers want is they want people who are going to be enthusiastic, and you want to communicate that up front. Yeah. That's great advice. I think, yeah, hand, handwritten letters go a long way. <laughs> they really do. Although like, yeah, I mean, it's so funny. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've been in my office a grand total of two days in the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, I go months at a time without remembering to check my voicemail at the office. And then yeah. I check it and like, there's nothing there. So, you know, it's a little hard these days. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully soon it'll be a little more normal. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then the other thing, what I would also really, you know, people should a hundred percent take advantage of the St. Lawrence network. Um, yeah. You know, it is, I know, you know, it, it is incredibly powerful. Um, you know, it is people, one of the, the unique characteristics of the St. Lawrence experience is that alumni very much are looking to help out people who are graduating um, or who are alumni even like I get you know I I talk with people who are who reach out to me who might be you know 10 20 years out of college um, but they're an alum so I talk to them Um, and you never know when you can help so um, you know use the career planning office um, they're incredibly, incredibly helpful um, and, and take advantage of the network in, in any way you possibly can. Yeah, you actually kind of just answered my last question, which was how can SLU students use our alumni network to their advantage? So that was perfect. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so that's all I have, unless you have anything Great. else you want to share, but. No, I think um, uh, happy to help. Um, I hope this was helpful. I mean, I, I listened to a couple of your episodes. Um, happy to say that, you know, some, some old, I can't say old friends, that implies that we're old. So <laughs> some friends that I've had for a very long time have done your episodes. Nick Penniman is a fraternity brother of mine and a great, great guy. Um, Jen Curley is, in, is uh, an incredible person, has done some really remarkable things, both professionally and in the work she's done for St. Lawrence. So it was, uh, it was great to see those. And I'm honored that you uh, asked me to uh, participate in, in, in the series. Yeah, no, I appreciate it so much. Um, it, I really like both of their episodes too. <laughs> great. Good to hear. So I will um, let you know when this goes up. Um, and probably put it on LinkedIn so you can see it. Okay, great. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. You got it. Take care. You too. Okay, bye-bye.